Good morning, Grace Church. Glad to see all of you here this morning. Thank you so very much for being here on New Year's weekend and uh, our last Sunday to experience 2023, right? Uh, we welcome the new year with God's blessing and uh, hope for greater and greater things. Let's stand together, shall we? And uh, we want to open our service today with prayer and uh, we want God to have his way to speak to our hearts here today. And uh, as we pray, we have two uh, very high priority uh, prayer requests to mention to you today that uh, folks have asked us to join with them to pray. Uh, a friend of uh, Brandy Patrick, uh, her name is Sydney. Her little baby Ivy has some heart issues and uh, is reaching out uh, for prayer that God would certainly be kind to them. And then our sweet Dallas and Brianna Turpin, uh, most of you know them, uh, their little baby girl, an infant, Ireland Joy, was rushed to Vander Vanderbilt Hospital and uh, is in very serious condition. And uh, they are seeking God for healing and uh, to take care of their baby. So again, let's pray for this service, for these needs, and uh, let's trust God today for some a great, a great move, a great manifestation of his presence today. Let's join together and pray, shall we? Jesus, we love you today. We're thankful for your blessing. We're thankful, God, for the opportunity and privilege to be here. We pray, God, today for this service, that the will of God would be done, that the hand of God would be made manifest. We trust you today for these things. We know you're able. We know you're able. We pray, God, for these two babies, Ivy and Ireland. We pray, God, that you would bless and heal them. We trust you today for a manifestation of your hand, of your power, that the work of God would be done in them. We ask you to have your way in Jesus' name. Can we clap our hands and give the Lord some praise today, shall we? Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. Look at your neighbor and tell him I'm glad to see you. Thank the Lord. God bless you today. You may be seated. We want to welcome everyone here today. Uh, Grace Church, thank you for being here on this uh, wonderful holiday weekend. And I do want to comment uh, just briefly. Uh, last Sunday, our Christmas Eve service, uh, we were just absolutely amazed with the, the wonderful, wonderful service that it was and uh, that Grace Church showed up. And I'm very thankful for that. Appreciate you folks so very, very much. And uh, expecting good things here today as well. <clears throat> I want to mention a couple of things to you today. Uh, it's rare that I open the service, as you know, but I felt like there were some things that I wanted to mention to you. <clears throat> First of all, uh, as you know by now, for our adult class, our adult Sunday school class that was in here this Sunday, that's been meeting in the sanctuary we're moving that class to the Alexander Center next door starting next Sunday. And uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to have a great time. Yours truly is going to be teaching for a while. And I want to thank Brother Ben and Brother Dave for their very kind cooperation uh, in this. They teach the adult class. I suppose Brother, Dem, Brother Ben does mostly. But uh, I thank them for working with me on this. And we'll be teaching uh, for the next foreseeable future. 
on Sunday morning, and uh, we're looking forward to it. Uh, we've been doing a class uh, separate for several months now, and I decided it just the first of the year would be a good time to bring those two classes together. And uh, we're going to resume the material that I've been teaching and the class that I was teaching at the A Center. is going to be a lot of fun. You'll enjoy it, and uh, we're going to do as much deep dive in the Bible as we can, and uh, it'll be good for all of us to do that. So remember that for uh, next Sunday, a week from today. All of you will meet there, and uh, we're going to ask that the this room, the sanctuary, not become a congregation place uh, during Sunday school. Uh, we'd like to re reserve the, the atmosphere here, be uh, respected, uh, revere it, and uh, to have it wonderful when we gather all gather in here at 11. Uh, also, I, I need for you to uh, have a save the date moment for me. Um, especially our leadership team. Uh, we had uh, Sister Rhea Cooper, Dr. Rhea Cooper here uh, several months ago. We booked her again to come in February of this year. And the dates of that are Friday night, February the 23rd, Saturday morning, February the 24th, and then she'll be with us on Sunday, February the 25th. Listen very carefully. We would like to invite all of our leadership team, all of our leadership team to join us Friday night February the 23rd, uh, we're planning to have a uh, we're planning to have dinner together for our leadership team. This is all of our leadership people. If you have a title behind your name at Grace Church, uh, you're welcome to come with come and attend this uh, leadership. And uh, we want to thank you, honor you, appreciate you, and uh, your leadership here at Grace Church. This is for all of our leadership team, and uh, Dr. Cooper will be the speaker. For that night and then on saturday morning february the 24th i've asked her to do two sessions one at 10 and one at 11 uh, and you can come to both this is for anybody anybody doesn't matter anybody can come on saturday uh, we'll have two sessions one at 10 one at 11 and uh, i've asked her to deal with anxiety and depression and then at 11 o'clock i left that one up to her choice but you can come to both, you can come at 10, or you can come at 11 uh, on Saturday morning, and then she'll be speaking here Sunday morning uh, in our 11 o'clock service, and we um, are hugely looking forward to that. So save the date, especially our leadership team for Friday night, and uh, it'll be a, a lot of fun, and uh, we'll get a lot out of it as well. Uh, while I'm here, I wanna thank Brad Storms today uh, he's been up here all week doing a lot of work around the church, and he has uh, helped Grace Church tremendously by installing some more outside lighting. And uh, I haven't seen it at night yet, but he sent me some pictures, and it looks almost like daylight outside here at night, and I'm very happy about that. Something we've needed to do for a long time. Thank you. Thank you very much. And uh, much appreciation to him, and we're very thankful for that. We'll get a lot of use and a lot of blessing out of that. Now, <clears throat> everybody knows that Grace Church is very, very thankful and very, very proud of our youth group. Uh, they are amazing, amazing students. We love them dearly. Uh, we have uh, five or six in Bible quizzing. Uh, we have three 
that's doing the P7 Bible studies at their school. Um, two of them, I understand, are having over 60 students attend their Bible studies. Uh, I'm very thankful for that. And uh, two of them are high school and one of them is junior high. In addition to that, we have our JV team, which involves pretty much all of our young people. I went to and visited one of our Sunday school classes this morning and had two of our JVers in there helping um, that teacher with that class. And uh, we love and appreciate our students very, very much. And they're doing a fantastic job for the kingdom. They're doing a great job for Grace Church. And uh, I'm so happy this morning to bring to you Garrett Adams. He's coming right now, and he is doing a P7 Bible study at his junior high school. And he's one that I understand they have 50, 60 people, uh, junior high students attending his class. And I've asked him to come and share with us what he has going at his school. Let's give him some appreciation this morning. First of all, I would like to thank Pastor and Brother Dave for supporting my idea to actually start the P7 Club. Now, around last year, I felt moved to start a P7 Bible Club in my school. And I remember one night, Lainey stayed the night, and we discussed, we stayed up late discussing how much we thought the P7 Bible Club could impact our schools. In the beginning weeks of this year, I met with my principal, but there was a lot of stuff happening. So the meets had to be postponed, and I may have driven them a little crazy, but it paid off in the end. I tried and tried my hardest to have the meets during school, but that just wasn't able to happen. So we put out, so I put out a Google form to kind of gauge how many people would be able to come after school. We had a great response, so we set our first meet to happen on December 1st. Now, before the meet, I ended up asking Aubrey, Olivia, Gracie, and Brady to end up sitting in the front, so I felt a little bit more comfortable. Um, so, in the first meet, there was a great turnout. 23 students came, and I was really, really excited. The lesson was on God's love, and I got texts, and some students came up to me afterwards telling me how much they thought that it was good, that kids knew how much God really did love them. My second meet was on December 15th, and there was a really, really good turnout as well, and I was ecstatic. I want to thank Lainey for giving me advice and recommendations for different lessons that I should do, and once again, I would love to thank Pastor and Brother Dave for supporting my idea. My next meet will be the week after school lets back in, so please keep Lainey Braille and I in your prayers. Thank you, Grace Church.
what an incredible presence that's here. God's already dealing with hearts, and He's He's just invaded our praise today. His presence is here that's undeniable. But I do believe He has a word that He wants us to hear today. So while we're not going to move from this moment of praise and seeking Him, we are going to change the order and go to the Word of God and hear what He has to say today. Praise Team, thank you so much. And Grace Church, thank you for being open to the moving of the Spirit of God. He's not done. He's not done. Before I begin today, you can be seated. Before I begin today, I want to give credit to Pastor Eric Ludy. Some of you may know that name, but his message, The Foreman's Key, captured my heart several months ago. And I've borrowed heavily from his ideas for this message today. I'm not re-preaching his sermon, Brother Dave, but I would not be delivering this message if it had not been for his. The second thing that I want to tell you is that I don't want to preach this message today. I actually have had several conversations with Jesus about this. I want to give you some insight into one of them. I don't know how God talks to you. I know he can speak to us through the word and through the spirit and through preachers and teachers and dreams and visions and situations in our lives, but sometimes God just talks to you, and sometimes He speaks to me very plainly, and it's usually at times where I wish He would not speak quite so plainly, but when I realized where this message was headed, I told God, I said, Lord, I can't preach that message, and He said, can't, Jason, or won't, don't want to. I said, okay, this is going to be one of those conversations, all right, real talk, Jesus, I don't want to preach it. He said, why not? And I said, Lord, it's just not in my wheelhouse. It's, I, I don't have the credibility to stand up in front of a group of people and preach something like this. I'm not some big soul winner. I'm not one of those witness to the lost all the time kind of people. I, I'm not even teaching a Bible study right now, Lord. So I just, I don't have the credibility to preach it. And he said, hmm. That's interesting. When have you ever? Mm -hmm. When have you ever had the credibility to preach anything? And then he said, Jason, if you think that the preaching of my word is dependent on the foundation of your credibility, then we have a whole different issue to talk about. And I said, okay, God, message received. I'll preach it but I'm really going to need a lot of help from you to do it. And he said, well, you're finally getting it. And that was the end of that conversation. So here we are. And I told you guys that personal and somewhat painful uh, exchange, just so you will know how absolutely uncomfortable I am today. Uh, I feel like the proverbial fish out of water, and I was would have been more than happy to just let this service go. Um, you folks that have been in Pentecost a little while know what I'm talking about. 
but I'm going to preach this message. And if, if what you hear today makes you uncomfortable, if, if it bothers you in some way, or if it lands a little weird for you and leaves you in this awkward place, all I can say is good. Good. Because that's how it's been with me for about the past four to five weeks. One more thing before we stand and read our text. I want you to know there is absolutely nothing new in this message today. You've heard messages like this before. If you stick around church long enough, you're going to hear messages like it again. In many ways, it's one of those classic Christian messages, but it's one of those messages that we can just become dull to if we're not reminded from time to time. So think of this today as a reminder. Think of it as a refocusing, and I hope you'll receive it as a challenge, a challenge to you personally, but also a challenge to Grace Church collectively as we go into this new year of 2024. My goodness, how did that happen? So let's read some Bible. Stand with me today. We're going to use this as a launching point, really, more than a central text. But that's okay because there's plenty of Scripture today. Thank you, Sister Casey. Psalms 107:16 in the King James says, For he hath broken the gates of brass and cut the bars of iron in sunder. Brass and iron being some of the hardest substances conceivable at the time of this writing. The writer is speaking prophetically here, looking toward forward toward the Messiah and the work that Messiah would do in breaking open these impassable gates and breaking open an inescapable prison. Messiah would come to get people out, to set people free. Interestingly, Jesus said in Luke chapter 4 verse 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty them that are bruised. Jesus came to get people out and to set them free. Psalm 118 verses 17 through 22, the writer said, I shall not die but live and declare the works of the Lord. The Lord hath chastened me sore, but he hath not given me over unto death Watch this, open to me the gates of righteousness. I will go into them and I will praise the Lord, this gate of the Lord into which the righteous shall enter. I will praise thee for thou hast heard me and art become my salvation. The stone which the builders refused has become the headstone of the corner. Again, talking about the Messiah and describing this gate that would be opened through the Messiah's work, which we now know to be the gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ that sets the sinner free. So with those scriptures as a launching point today, I, I really want to talk to you about the problem on the eighth floor. The problem on the eighth floor. Y'all pray with me. Lord, the time has come now to deliver this thing that you have given me. And I need your help so desperately in this moment. Lord, I pray that they would hear your voice, not the voice of a man, but Lord, they would hear your voice. Lord, 
louder than the voice of their past, louder than the voice of regret, louder than fear. Lord, I pray that they would hear the voice of faith, the voice of hope, and the voice of love today. Let your will be done in this house, and everybody say amen. God bless you. You can be seated. At 4.40 p.m. on Saturday, March 25th, 1911, a fire broke out on the eighth floor of the Ash Building, located in the Greenwich Village neighborhood of Manhattan in New York City. The 8th, 9th, and 10th floors of the Ash Building housed the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory, where approximately 500 laborers produced women's blouses or shirtwaists. I didn't know what a shirtwaist was. I had to look it up. It's a, it's a women's blouse, a women's top. The Triangle Shirtwaist Factory fire is still to this day considered to be the deadliest industrial disaster in the history of New York City. Many of our modern fire safety protocols, things like crash bars on doors and fire escapes that are actually built to code, can be traced back to this event in 1911. Of the 500 workers that labored in that factory, 146 would die that day. Some of them from the flames, some of them from smoke inhalation, some from falling or jumping to their deaths, 123 women and girls, 23 men. Most of them were recent Italian and Jewish immigrants to the United States. The oldest was a 43-year-old woman, and the youngest were two 14-year-old girls. The fire marshal who investigated the fire eventually concluded that the source of the fire was probably a discarded match or cigarette that had been thrown into a scrap bin that held two months' worth of fabric cuttings from the factory. When the fire broke out, the, a bookkeeper on the eighth floor was able to warn workers on the tenth floor that the fire had broken out via telephone, but there was no audible alarm or telephone to contact the staff on the ninth floor. So the first warning that the people on the ninth floor had that there was a fire was whenever the smoke and flames broke through the floor. Although there were a number of exits from the 8th, 9th, and 10th floors, included two freight elevators, a fire escape, and multiple stairways, flames blocked one of the stairways very quickly, and the doors to the exits to the other stairways were locked. It seems outrageous to us today, but it was a common practice at that time. They the owners of the factory wanted to prevent workers from leaving early or taking unscheduled breaks. They also needed a means to check the purses and belongings of the workers to make sure that no one was stealing. But more than anything, they wanted to prevent union labor organizers from coming onto the floor and causing problems. So the, the exit doors were often locked during the workday, and therefore the other stairways could not be accessed whenever the fire broke out. The lone foreman on duty that day, and the only one, the only one, with the key to the exit stairwells, got out of the building soon after the fire started. He got out, but the workers for whom he was responsible remained locked inside. The one fire escape, which was really just this hastily constructed thing on the exterior of the building, 
twisted and collapsed at one point due to heat and the weight of the 20 people that were standing on it, causing them to fall some 100 feet to their deaths. There were two freight elevators that two, two men ran for as long as they could, and they actually were able to get hundreds of people out via the freight elevators. But after about three trips up to the ninth floor, the heat of the flames and the impact of falling bodies warped the elevator shaft, and they were rendered inoperable. The New York City Fire Department arrived within minutes. It was state-of-the-art at the time, equipped with sirens and some horse-drawn pump wagons. They even had ladders and life nets, but their fire ladders were only tall enough to reach to the seventh floor, and the fire was on the eighth, ninth, and tenth floor, and the life nets that the fire department had to catch jumping victims snapped due to age and the weight of human bodies falling from 80 feet or more. William Gunn Shepherd, a reporter at the tragedy, would say, I learned a new sound that day, a sound more horrible than description can picture. It was the thud of a speeding living body on a stone sidewalk. Lewis Waldman, who would later become a New York State legislator, described the scenes. Years later, he wrote, Horrified and helpless, the crowds, I among them, looked up at the burning building and saw girl after girl appear at the reddened windows, pause for a terrified moment, and then leap to the pavement below to land as a mangled, bloody pulp. This went on for what seemed like a ghastly eternity. Occasionally, a girl who had hesitated too long was licked by pursuing flames and screaming with her clothing and hair ablaze, plunged like a living torch to the street. The life nets held by the firemen were torn by the impact of the falling bodies. I know it's graphic, and I know that these are unpleasant images and disturbing to think about. And I know it's probably not what any of you expected coming to church on this day before New Year's. But as we say goodbye to 2023 and turn our attention to whatever is going to be in 2024, I want to use these graphic accounts and this terrible moment from history today as a metaphor. As unpleasant and discomforting as these accounts and images might be. Grace Church, the reality that people are facing today in this world is much, much worse. There is a problem on the eighth floor. And some people are aware of the problem, and they are looking for a way out. They are scrambling and searching, looking for any kind of escape, reaching for whatever they can find, any kind of lifeline to get out and get away. Other people don't have a clue that they're in any danger at all. But whether they know it or not, there is a problem on the eighth floor. As people are going through their day-to-day living life, doing work and school and family and bills, just living life like they do day in, day out. They're hectic. They're busy. They've got concerns. Ignorant and unaware, like some of those back in 1911, there's a real problem on the eighth floor that has them trapped 
and in so much danger, there is a fire of epic, eternal proportions burning, and their very lives hang in the balance, even though they are completely unaware. I know it's a graphic story from 1911, but it has applications for us right here today. In the closing hours of 2023, there is a problem on the eighth floor. There is a blazing fire that threatens to consume everyone and everything. And the escape doors are locked. And the ladders humanity can build aren't tall enough. And the life nets that humanity possesses aren't strong enough. And there is only one key. Only one key. And I want to give you some details about the problem on the eighth floor. Our story from history tells us that the doors were locked. Psalm 14, 1 through 3 says, The fool has said in his heart that there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God, and they were all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Scripture tells me that there is a quality that God is looking for, a goodness, a godness, but no one is good, not one. Nobody qualifies. Nobody fits the standard. God stipulates righteousness. God asks for godliness. And nobody can deliver. Romans 3.20 tells us, Therefore by the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. For all have sinned and come short. Of the glory of God. Isaiah 53 and 6 says, All, not some, not a few, but all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. So we again we see it prophesied in Isaiah, the Savior, the Messiah on whom would be laid the iniquity of all of us. Jesus Christ, the answer to the problem, the gates of brass, the prison of iron, but the door is locked and we don't have a key. The key is somewhere else. The key is not in our possession naturally, and we were locked in. Somebody had to give us a key. And that is the good news of the gospel. That is Jesus Christ saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. That's Jesus saying, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. That's Jesus saying, whoever comes to me, I will not despise. I will not drive away. For every single one of us, the door was locked on the eighth floor. And there was no way out. But Jesus Christ provided an escape. Romans 3.24 And all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. 
And that's why you're here today. That's why I'm here today. You didn't have a key. I didn't have a key. But Jesus gave us a key. He gave us his key. 2 Corinthians 4, 3, and 7. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. But, it, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power of God may be of God and not of us. It's not our gospel. It's his gospel. It's his good news. But we carry it in us, a treasure in this earthen vessel, the excellency of God's power, the key, his key, his solution, the only solution to the problem on the eighth floor. And we need and they need his solution. We need and they need his key. And you have it. The key is in your pocket. In case you haven't figured out the metaphor today, you're the foreman in the story. I'm the foreman in the story. You and I had the key that would unlock the doors to save hundreds from a burning blaze. We now carry that treasure of the gospel in these earthen vessels of our fleshly bodies. His key, his solution is now in our possession. But using that key, means you will have to get danger close to that blaze. Close enough to feel the heat. Close enough to smell the smoke. There's a problem on the eighth floor. And you have the key that they so desperately need because our human solutions are not enough for the problem. Our solutions, like our ladders that we build and our nets that we construct, they're not enough. That day in 1911, the ladders weren't tall enough to reach past the seventh floor, just like what people try to build today isn't enough to get them out. Whatever good works you do, unless they're built on the foundation of Christ, it won't be enough. Psalm 127 says, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. All of the charitable works, all of the selfless acts, all of the good deeds, all of the volunteer that you do, all of the money that you give, all of the hours that you spent, I'm not saying they don't matter. They do. We've got Bible for those things. They're good things. But they cannot save you from the problem on the eighth floor. And for those that are still stuck in the building, the ladders that humanity tries to build will not be enough. They just can't reach far enough to save from the problem on the eighth floor. Come on, somebody. If good works were enough, if the things that you could build were enough, Jesus would have died for nothing. We could all just do good and be good, and that would be enough. But it wasn't enough. He had to die and shed blood and give us the gospel before we could ever have a chance to get out. Your ladders of good works are not tall enough. I appreciate them. The world needs them. Do good. Be kind. But they're not enough. 
And our human safety nets aren't strong enough. I can't tell you how disturbed I was reading this story. And, 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 and just the sound that it must have made that day as those people jumped from that building and, and landed on the sidewalk below. It just it, it rattled me. It stuck with me. The nets that man tries to build, they're not going to be enough to sustain the impact of a jump from the eighth floor. Psalm 33, verses 16 through 19 says, There is no king saved by the multitude of a host. A mighty man is not delivered by much strength. A horse is a vain thing for safety, neither shall he deliver by his great strength. Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him, upon them that hope in his mercy to deliver their soul from death. Look, you prepare what you want to prepare. I encourage preparation. Prepare what you want. Prepare what you can prepare. Get an education. I believe in education. Your career, work hard. Work is unto the Lord. Your savings, be a good steward. Your investments, your networks and relationships, all good things. All necessary things, but they won't be enough. Every single human safety net will fail in the end. The problem on the eighth floor is just too much. The problem they faced in the Ash Building in 1911 was greater than what, greater than what man could handle. Their ladders weren't enough. Their nets weren't enough. Church family, listen to me. The problem humanity faces today as we go into 2024 is greater than what they are prepared for. The things that they've built, they're insufficient. I'm not saying they're bad. Just insufficient. Insufficient to the task of overcoming the magnitude of the problem. Their ladders won't be enough. Their nets won't be enough. There is a burning building. And people are stuck in it. And that's why we're here today. We were warned. Somebody told us. Somebody got word to us. Somehow, things happened in our life, and maybe it was the influence of a mom or a dad or an uncle or an aunt or a praying grandmother or a friend at school, but somehow, word got to us, and we got out. We've been given a key. It was supplied to us, and those of us here today, you're here today because you made it out. We escaped the burning building. And now what are we going to do? What are we going to do with the key in our pocket? What are we going to do with the treasure we have? The knowledge we have of the liberating power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here's where I hope to take a departure from the norm. Because we've heard this sermon before, haven't we? You've been in church five minutes, you've heard a sermon like this. 
It's the classic Christian message that asks the question, what are you doing to try to help save the lost? When was the last time that you ran into the burning building and pulled some victim out of the fire? I've sat through those messages. You have too. I've heard them. I've heard those messages preached by some talented and anointed men and women. And I have felt those pangs of regret and come face to face with my own lack. I've been in those altar services, man, where I cried and repented and felt the grief of my own fear and reluctance to run into the burning building with the key in my pocket and try to save as many as possible. I'm not criticizing those messages or the people who have preached them. We need them. We need them. We need them to remind us. I need them. They've been formative in, in, my, in my life. But that's not what this message is about today. This message is not about saddling you with guilt. It is not about covering you with condemnation that's thinly veiled as godly conviction or godly sorrow. Somebody else can preach that. I'm not into it. That's not what God told me to do. At the end of the day... Whenever it comes to messages like this one, I think most of us tend to respond in two ways. We hear this kind of message preached, and first of all, we're grateful for the key that we have been provided. Thank you, Jesus, for getting me out. I had a problem that went so deep and so tall and so wide, I couldn't solve it myself. I had no hope. But Jesus, you came into my life. You gave me a key just, just because you love me and you allowed me to see what life is like outside of this burning building. Jesus, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for saving me, Jesus. I think most of us respond that way whenever we hear this kind of message. And the second way I think most of us respond whenever we hear this kind of message is to say, well, what do I do then with the key you have given me, Jesus? And that's where I want to focus in the few minutes that I have left today. And just ask the question, so now what? What do I do now, Jesus? Jesus, what do you want me to do with this key of the gospel that you have entrusted to me? While there's this raging fire of a problem on the eighth floor, and I've got this key in my pocket that could save so many, Jesus, what should I do? Well, I know the, the answer to that question probably isn't to just save yourself and stand around on the street below and watch and see what happens and hang around with anybody else that happened to make it out and talk about how glad we are that we're not still stuck up there and rejoice in the fact that we made it out and we're really sad for those people that are still up. That's probably not the answer to the question. So what do I do? Do I stand there in the street, safe but genuinely heartbroken, and, and hold up my key for everyone to see it and loudly proclaim, here it is! Here it is! I've got it! 
I've got the key. Just come down and get it, and I'll gladly put it in your hand. I'll tell you all about it. All you got to do is make it down to me, and I'll give you the key that I have. Here it is. That doesn't seem effective. It really doesn't seem logical. Because if they could get down to get the key, they wouldn't be trapped, and they wouldn't need it. So what should I do then, Brother Murphy? Should I go running back into the building? Back into that blazing fire, key in hand, and start unlocking every door I can find? Self-preservation and personal responsibilities of no concern. Just run back in yelling and screaming, this way, this way, this way. The door's open here. This is the way out. Let me show you. Man, that sounds so heroic. But it also sounds dangerous. It might even be a little bit irresponsible. It's certainly frightening. Is that what I'm supposed to do? So what do I do? What do I do with this key? Do I turn to somebody standing by me on the street, a fellow escapee, and say, look, I, I, I can't leave where I am. I've got these crazy responsibilities at, at home, and, and maybe I'm a little too young, or maybe I'm a little too old. I, there's no way I could make it back up those stairs. But here, you take the key, and I'll pay you to go back up the stairs and get somebody out. You go unlock the doors. Is that what I'm supposed to do? That certainly sounds safer and it's certainly doing something. But is it really what I'm supposed to do with the key? What if it was one of my kids on the eighth floor? What if it was Kalen or Ethan or Owen up there standing in the window, feeling the flames behind them and knowing there's just no way? What would I do? Tanya, what, what if it was Hadley? What if it was Tucker? What if it was Hinesley? What if it was Greeley? Dave, what if it was Dawson? What if it was Elena? Is that how we would want somebody to respond? Casey, if it was Noah, if it was Joseph, here, you take the key and go get him. Is that how I would want somebody else to respond if I knew they had the key that would set my kid free in their pocket? What should I do? Church family, what should I do with this key? What should you do with yours? Grace Church, I tell you in full transparency, and utter discomfort. I don't know. Other people are really sure. They're really sure about what they're supposed to do with their key. And they will tell you what you are supposed to do with yours. I can't do that. And be authentic here today. I just have to tell you I don't know. But what I will ask you is this. What does love ask of you? I think that's the question that will lead us to the better answer. What are you supposed to do with your key? I don't know. 
I can't answer that for you. I'm not here today to tell you what you are supposed to do with your key or how you are supposed to use it and apply it. But what I can tell you is this. We cannot do anything of our own power. We must have a strength and a power that is greater than our own that guides us forward in how to use the key of the gospel. Because you... Maybe you're that person. I've known people like this in my life. Some of you have too. It's like they have no sense of social propriety. And Brother Dave, they have absolutely no qualms with looking you in the eye and saying, do you know Jesus? Because if you don't, you're lost and you're going to hell. Y'all know people like I do. I've known people like that. I know some right now. Some of you are smiling. Some of you might be that person. Some of you have that in you to be able to, to do that. You, you can just go running back inside that burning building with no concern for personal safety or consequences. You can preach on the street corner and let them throw rotten fruit and hurl ugly words at you. You can go out and feed the homeless and, and minister to them and tell them about the gospel. You can go on your college campus or your school campus and debate with the best of them. You can serve in those rehabilitation centers where people are just covered in hopelessness. You can teach and preach in the prison. You're just that, that guy or that girl. You can do it. And if that's what love is asking you to do, then pray for God's power and wisdom and go. Go do it. But maybe not. Maybe that's not what love is asking you to do. Maybe you're the person that can notice that single mom crying by herself at the restaurant table and go over and pray for her and encourage her. Or maybe you're the one that can see that person standing in the pharmacy line at Walmart so frustrated they're the top of their head is about to blow off. And you know how to say an encouraging word that diffuses the situation. Maybe you're the one that people just come to at work and tell you stuff. And you're like, man, I've got my own junk to deal with. What are you doing in my office talking to me? And they tell you about how I just found out my wife plans to divorce me. Would you please pray with me? Maybe you're the one can start a Bible study group on your school campus. I applaud you. I applaud you, young people. It's amazing. Well, listen, if that's what love is asking you to do, then pray for His power and wisdom and go do it. I don't know what Jesus wants you to do. And I'm not here to tell you what you need to do with your key. That's between you and Jesus. But I am here to tell you two things. When it comes to the problem on the eighth floor, your guilt and condemnation won't serve you or anybody else. Waiting in every message like this one is this heaping mound of guilt that is the size of Mount Everest that comes from a sense of not enough.
inadequacy. We hear it and we feel challenged to do something about the problem on the eighth floor. And we feel a sense of responsibility. And we hear the call of love. And we hear the screams of the lost. And we want to help those that are trapped in a burning building. But I'm not outgoing enough. I'm just not bold enough. I'm probably not compassionate enough. I'm not sensitive enough. I'm not loving enough. I'm not righteous enough. I'm not clean enough. I'm not connected enough. I'm not knowledgeable in the Bible enough. I'm not unique enough. I don't have this woo testimony. I'm just some church kid. All of these feelings of not enough. I'm not young enough. I'm not old enough. I'm not experienced enough. I'm not edu- Whatever. In a message like this, there is this, this sense of you're not enough. You haven't done enough. And I want to tell you today, I don't know that that comes from Christ. So here's the way I want to get around it. I'm not enough. I'm not enough. I'm not. You know what? You're right. 100%. Absolutely right. You are not enough. You never have been. You never will be. Own it. Admit it. Fess up to it. You're not enough. You're not enough to be and do what love demands. You're not enough to be and do what the people on the eighth floor need. And thank God you aren't. Because his strength is made perfect in my weakness. I appreciate it. But I hope you hear me, that your state of inadequacy only highlights his sufficiency. Your shortcomings and your hang-ups and your issues only demonstrate his perfect greatness. So own it. Jesus, I, I am not enough. Would you help me? Jesus, would you help me? I need a power that is greater than my own, a supernatural love, a supernatural boldness that I simply cannot manufacture by myself. So Jesus, would you please help me? As I listen to them screaming from the eighth floor, would you please help me? Help me do something with this key that you've given me. Whatever love is asking me to do, Jesus, would you help me do it? Because I'm not enough. The second thing I want to tell you, I came to tell you this, when opportunity knocks, it's usually on a door that you have built. Y'all have heard that saying, right? Opportunity only knocks once. Have you heard the saying? In case you didn't know, there is a saying that's pretty common in our world today. That says, opportunity only knocks once. Okay, got that out of the way. And that might be true. I think there are some opportunities that only come along once in life. Sometimes they'll come back around again, but sometimes certain opportunities only come along one time. But I will tell you, in my experience of now 50 years, 
when opportunity does knock, it's usually knocking on the door that I have constructed. So let's bring this home. You want to use the key that you've been given? Take the weight of it out of your pocket and use it in the way that love is asking you to? You want to do that? I hope so. Well, if so, then my word to you is prepare. Prepare. I'm going to make this super practical. Write out your testimony of how you came to know God. Write it out and then practice saying it out loud. Stand in front of the mirror and say it to yourself. Take out your phone and do a voice recording so you can hear all the spots where it doesn't flow and it stumbles. Find a friend that won't ridicule you and tell it to them. Write out your testimony and say it out loud. Prepare. Build the door. Write out that organizational or financial plan for that ministry idea that you have. Well, we've got this much money coming in. I can save this much. I can set aside this much. Maybe I need to get a little side hustle going and I can, I can do it. Write out the plan. Write out the story of how God has led you and developed you and practice saying it out loud. Write out the story of that miracle that God did in your family whenever he saved you or a loved one from drug addiction and all kinds of horrible stuff. Write it out and practice saying it out loud. Build the door. Prepare. You want to take that key out of your pocket and use it to change someone's life and maybe someone's eternity? Prepare. Go online. Set up a savings account for that mission trip that you've always wanted to take. Set up a meeting with the person that's doing what you feel like love is asking you to do and start picking their brain. How did you do it? How did you get there? What kind of mistakes did you make? What do I need to avoid? What did you do right? How can I do more of it? All I'm telling you, Grace Church, whatever love is asking you to do, build the door. Prepare. And watch opportunity come knocking. I promise you it will. Y'all stand with me. Sister Casey, just keys. Praise team, take a break. I don't know how this has landed with you. I haven't felt this uncomfortable in a pulpit and I don't know how long. It's not about that. I want you to hear the voice of love today. More than anything else, that's what I want for you. This last Sunday of 2023, I want each and every person in this auditorium to hear the voice of love. There's a problem, a very real, serious, life-threatening harmful, destructive problem on the eighth floor. People are trapped behind gates of brass and bars of iron and the doors are locked and the gospel that you carry is the only key. What will you do with it? Well, 
What is love asking you to do? Are you unsure of how to respond? Me too. Are you scared and kind of feel like a coward because of past opportunities that you've missed? Me too. Do you feel a little guilty like that foreman must have? Because you got out and you know you've got the key in your pocket and you feel like you could have done something else so far in life to use it. You feel a little guilty? Me too. Are you concerned about the potential cost of running back into a burning building and trying to save someone who is on fire? Me too. Do you listen to this message and feel the weight of your own inadequacy? Grace Church, me too. So what do I do? I think it's, I think it's a terrible thing to do what I have done today, which is to present you with a dilemma for which I can provide you no answer. What do I do, Jason? I've told you. I don't know. But what is love asking you to do? It's a weird place to be in, man, and it's uncomfortable. And it probably should be. I can't tell you what to do. But I believe Jesus can. And I believe he will if we give him an opportunity to do so. And so that's what I would like for us to do, church family. As we close out this service today, as we close the door on 2023, I want to give Jesus an opportunity. I want to give love the chance to talk to us uniquely individually, separately about what we need to do regarding the problem on the eighth floor. The presence of God was so thick in this place 45 minutes ago. He hasn't left. So I invite you. Come on, brothers, sisters. This is it. This is the altar call. If you need to cry and repent and weep and grieve, do it. I don't know what love is asking you to do. If you just need to kneel down and have a heart-to-heart, God, you've been talking to me about some things and I've been too scared. Talk to it. If you've been struggling with how to proceed forward because love's been telling you and talking to you about that person at work or that that, that person in your class that sits next to you. God, I want to reach out, but I don't quite know how. This is the moment to say, God, what is love asking of me? I am inadequate. I am not enough. I don't have the words. I don't have the charisma. But would you talk to me, Jesus? 
and give me the power and the boldness and the wisdom to talk to them. I don't know if it's baking a batch of cookies, if it's mowing somebody's yard, if it's cleaning their car, if it's just showing up at their house and saying, hey, neighbor, I just wanted to talk for a little while. I don't know what love is asking you to do, but love is asking you to do something. God, what do you want to say to me today? What is the unique word that you have for me today? What's the specific thing that you want to say to me today? God, I've got this key in my pocket, and I don't really know exactly how I'm supposed to apply it. But if you'll talk to me right now in this moment, Lord, I'm willing to listen. God, give us ears to hear. Give us ears to hear, spiritual ears to hear today. What love is asking of us. to everyone that has an ear to hear. Let him hear the voice of the Lord. The Spirit is speaking right now. Ministries are being born. There are paths forward that are being forged. 
Somebody's getting an understanding and a revelation. Somebody's getting past their own inadequacies. Inadequacy. Somebody's moving past their lack and their sense of guilt and condemnation and stepping forward into something that love is asking them to do. If you've got an ear to hear, would you listen to the Spirit? What do I do with this key? Talk to me. Show me. Make it plain. Talk to me in a way that I know and recognize is your voice. Hallelujah. I feel the weight of a burden for the lost. Those people in my family that I know need you. The ones that I walk around at school at work and I can see the misery plastered all over their faces. I feel the weight. But the gospel is not meant to be a source of grief. The gospel is not meant to be a source of condemnation. It's a key of joy. It's a key of liberty. It's a key of release. God, it's right here and I have it. Help me to share that joy. Help me to share that liberating power. God, show me what I can do to those with those around me. What, what love is asking me to do with the people within my circle of influence. God, talk to me about how to use this miraculous, powerful, amazing key that I've got.